0: Hi, thank you for joining us at the Adoption Files. This is the part where I remind the listeners that the host and their guests are not lawyers or therapists or religious gurus. Our thoughts and opinions are just that, our thoughts and opinions. We always encourage our listeners to explore the topics discussed on the shows, to think critically, and to think outside of the adoption narrative. Thank you. Hi, welcome to The Adoption Files. This is the second part of our interview with Greg Gentry on the cult-like aspects of adoption, the religion editions. So thank you for coming back. Hi, Greg. Hi, Lynn.
1: Hi, glad to be
0: here. Okay, so we've been talking about, uh, you know, scriptural foundations for adoption, which don't exist. And we want to talk a little bit about things that we're seeing in the news these days that are probably a little baffling to some people and very alarming to most of us. And a lot of that has to do with a concept called remnant thinking. So Greg is going to explain to us what remnant thinking is, and then we'll go into a little more detail about how that affects adoption.
1: Sure. Thanks. Well, I think it's best couched in in the language of, it's called apocalyptic, apocalyptic thinking, which is this big fancy word can mean a lot of things. And you think of traditional classical apocalypse now and things like that there's this idea of a coming end and for in some forms of apocalypticism it's like a, a physical burning up and end of the world and being laid waste and In other versions of it it's just everything being not destroyed physically but completely replaced with something more more holy or wholesome <clears throat> but the idea is that there's an of an inbreaking, something external coming, that's about to change what what existence is for for people, and in apocalyptic thinking, there's usually this this sense of <clears throat> imminence, meaning like nearness, of right about to happen, could happen at any moment. This eruption, irr, of breaking into the the present world order and, and totally changing what it is, so. If human beings have been going along and about their business a certain way and they're in in this eminent position of, of something big right about to happen, the coming of the kingdom of God, in other words, then it, it brings about a lot of things. And you'll see a lot of this exhibited in, in the cult mentalities, really. But one of the things it produces is the question that in people's minds are who is it that would be would be safe in this situation is anybody safe if this this coming end happens right away or at any time and there's always been this belief that there's a certain s- subset of people that will be safe and why would they be safe they're they're the remainder they're the remnant they're the people that were chosen or set aside for maybe reasons they'll never understand but for one whatever reason in the divine purpose God has is, is sort of ordained them to be the people that endure or last through this or survive it, make it all the way through. And you hear a lot of this, for instance, in like rapture theology, right? Where people are taken out of the world. and Other people, that's like the reverse remnant. These are the people you don't want to be or the people left behind. But in the terms of the remnant I'm speaking of here, these are the people who would survive this, this burning up of the world or laying waste of the world or the new world order coming and it breeds this sense of well if i'm chosen then maybe there's something special about me and does that mean that i'm entitled to certain things and it it leads to and has traditionally led to sectarianism of withdrawing from the world and you see it all all throughout history really because Every age has always believed they were the end. They were living in the end times. And if you don't, if you were not aware of that, uh, it's it's always been around. It's been around since before the first century AD, um, because there was always this belief that God is going to put things right. Some people are going to get theirs, and the world's about to change fundamentally at any moment. So the remnant are the people that make it through in that sense. They're chosen. They may not understand why, but unfortunately... It lets, it can breed, like I said, this sense of superiority or of thinking there's something special and entitled about people, certain people. And when you go about with that, then you may view it as your purpose, as part of the chosen, to try to rescue people, to try to pull them out before things get bad, before the end comes. That's why, for instance, the preaching of John the Baptist is a good example it's an apocalyptic preacher. Well, who comes to him? People come to him to repent of their sins because they're they're worried He's, they're the brood of vipers waiting for the end and they're fleeing from it. Jesus actually comes to John the Baptist, which presents certain problems for the church actually because it's a repentance of a baptism of repentance that he undergoes, and that's kind of problematic in certain strands of the New Testament. But the point of all that is said because it leads people to. Um, set themselves apart and try to grab other people with them and take them with them out of what they view as a world not worth living in so they devalue what what the present world is they devalue human connections family connections they th- they, they, they you probably heard language like that that everything's going to burn up or nothing is nothing is worth anything we live in the world but not of the world it could end at any moment so, you have to be prepared. It puts you in this heightened awareness and heightened state and you start to do things like treating the world like a salvage operation. So you can definitely apply that in the sense of adoption. Because if you think the world is perishing, and it could end at any moment in a totally cataclysmic way, then you may feel justified in doing whatever you feel is necessary to try to, to take people with you as part of the remnant. And there are implications of the remnant and numerological senses and all that I won't go into but the the entitlement piece the the sense of the end and the impending end and the desire to to save people who are in a a worse spiritual condition can lead to I think directly what happens in this cult mentality and adoption
0: I know for me when I was in the church we were constantly being told that these are the end times. These are the end times. Yeah, we we're born at this point in time for a reason because God has a purpose for your life, and His commandment is to take the gospel to the to all people. And so, this is your job. Your job is to save people. It's a great and, commission. Yeah. Yeah, and this is God's will, and God's ways are higher than our ways so we need to be in alignment with his will and to not be in alignment is to risk your salvation and the idea that it is so much more important to bring children into the kingdom in a way that is not scriptural because the bible doesn't talk about literally going out and taking children and bringing you know it it was more about let's preach the gospel to people and they'll see the truth of it and they'll turn to god but it's been warped to mean this this other thing the additional factor where you see historically a lot of this apocalyptic thinking, a lot of this uh, big push in religions to uh, really double down on their doctrine occurs during times of great social and economic upheaval. And a pandemic is definitely an example of... An event that causes people to really, really invest in their belief systems because they don't want to go to hell. You know, we know for years they were pushing for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We're seeing this this push to adopt, even when it's in violation of, of sovereign nation's wishes, you know, Christian families bringing children from other countries you know even if the countries have said it's illegal to adopt children from our country at this time which is the case with you know was the case with Ukraine when the war began with Russia they had to actually put out a notice that it was illegal to adopt Ukrainian children during this crisis I when you're in that remnant thinking in that apocalyptic mindset you can justify all kinds of abuses. Yes. Yeah, because it's God's will. And they're okay with violating your will Mm -hmm. in order to do that because they are looking after your best interest. So when you see them denying reproductive rights to women, they are saving women from their own sinfulness. They have a solution of removing those children and putting them with good Christian families because now they can guarantee in their minds that they're bringing these children into the kingdom of God. Even though that's not scripturally accurate, simply raising a person in a church does not guarantee that they have a relationship with god
1: you don't you don't belong because of i just by virtue of identity meaning i was born into this or there has to be a free association where you join something deliberately
0: yeah and that's that indoctrination piece again you know you're indoctrinating people to believe that these things are true and And Lynn, do you have thoughts on this? I know that this was kind of a new topic for you that you had been familiar with before. Do you mean the Roe v. Wade and talking about it in church
2: in particular?
0: I I think the, the remnant thinking and kind of the, the whole idea of the apocalyptic thinking and how it ties into this huge push to overturn Roe v. Wade and Yeah, that's not
2: something that I was exposed to in church. Now, there was, you know, Revelations. It's one of those books that I think mainline Protestant churches kind of avoid. (laughs) I didn't hear a whole lot of that. I didn't hear about the end times. And um, anything that was controversial, like abortion, would not really be discussed in the churches that I grew up in or that I attended as an adult. So I kind of had an opposite experience of you, Andy, and that these were kind of swept under the rug.
0: Is it hard for you and do you think it's hard for most people to kind of grasp just how pervasive this mindset is that is, you know, is willing to go to the lengths of denying other people their rights because they feel that they know what's best?
2: Well, I wouldn't have thought so until Roe v. Wade was overturned and then I realized we're all in serious trouble. I never thought I'd see that day.
0: So we've seen a lot around the phrase the domestic supply of infants and which is actually quoted from a CDC report. Yeah. It brings about these debates on when is a person a person in the Bible you have competing ideas about when a person is a person and when they're sentient and in Judaism, which Christianity is taken from abortion is not considered a sin. Abortions are allowed up until a certain period in a person's pregnancy. This idea that they're using scripture to justify denying reproductive rights and I just I just want to be clear like don't see adoption as a reproductive option I see it as a parenting option but I don't see it as a reproductive option and the churches definitely push it as a reproductive option is there any scriptural basis for considering adoption as a reproductive option
1: No, (laughs) Um, I think a lot of it goes back to to Catholic natural law theology, even though we're talking about Protestantism generally here, uh, which comes largely out of the traditions of Thomas Aquinas and the thinking of Aristotle and It's the idea that, for example, every sexual act should be open to the possibility of of conception. So even Protestants even get around that, but with the idea of contraception really is, that was what was so offensive to the the Catholic mentality there was you were not allowing the sexual act to be open naturally to what it could could have resulted in. So then the tendency now to talk about abortion as um i don't don't want to phrase it that if things had continued under the natural law that it just would have resulted in a in the birth of a human being and that any cutting off of that before the the birth of the of the the human being is an an interruption of, of natural law in that sense and that i think is what gives rise to a lot of it and goes right into Protestantism, and then to read text about like I, I knew you. I knit you together. You know, I was wonderfully and fearfully made and things like this that definitely place a, a high value on on human beings, even even before they're born in in most people's minds who are who grew up in those traditions. But I think it really does mostly go back to these traditions of like Thomas Aquinas through Aristotle.
0: People may believe that abortion is something that is, a fairly recent phenomenon abortion has been practiced in all cultures that they've found evidence for going back thousands of years okay during the time of christ abortions occurred on a regular basis and many cultures practiced exposure many um, cultures would expose unwanted infants or infants with, and that was considered a completely acceptable practice. It happened, the Romans practiced it. Christ would theoretically have been aware that this was a common practice, but there's nothing in scripture that outright condemns this, Nowhere that Jesus addresses this issue and condemns anyone for this. There's a very strong emphasis on the fact that God gives us freedom of will. And that each of us is responsible for our own behaviors before God. So the fact that the churches feel okay regulating other people's reproductive rights and then treating the children as if they're interchangeable. I don't know. Thoughts on that?
1: The modular parent, yeah. Um, Plug and play parents, I think I called them. Just, I think that It's actually interesting because well for a number of reasons but one there's not actually a, a pro-family message in the new testament that <laughs> kind of needs to be said you i think everybody thinks there is it's always heard that there is there actually isn't and part of that is explained by the apocalyptic mentality which, again, results in devaluing relationships, family connections, but um, Jesus was not pro-nuclear family, for example, uh, and he was estranged from his own family, so he was about forming a different type of of bond between people who were loyal to him, and we could talk about that for a lot of different reasons, but... Um, I was interested in what you said about that he would be aware of like practices like exposure, for example. I had never thought about that. So that's really an interesting thought because that would mean I think, especially growing up in society, society that was occupied by, by Roman rule, that there could have been could have been people lying by the city gates on hills I mean that might have been something that that was seen around around the cities right so I hadn't thought about that and I think it's a very interesting point you raised
0: so do you have thoughts about it Lynn I really
2: wasn't aware of the exposure and I assume you mean by exposure that just take a newborn out and leave them out to die naturally yes I yeah I had not thought too much about that and how I mean, it's not the same as abortion. It could be argued that it's worse because this is a, a live human that was brought into the world and under our legal definitions have rights. So to me, that's if that was being practiced during Jesus' time, it really gives you pause to think about how... Um, I can't imagine Jesus... I mean, if he didn't preach against these types of things, that it must have been accepted.
0: Like Greg said, Jesus didn't pre like the idea of a nuclear family, something that goes all the way back to Genesis, God created man and woman and they had children. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And a man, Mm -hmm. you know, a woman leaves their family, a man leaves his family, they cleave to one another. And that's kind of the entire basis of the idea of a nuclear family. But Jesus himself instructed people to forsake their mothers and fathers and follow him. He he said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. In Jewish traditional culture, every single one of his disciples, the, you know, the 12 apostles, most likely, more than likely, had families, had wives and children who they left in order to follow jesus mother and brothers come to the door looking for him he scoffs at the people and basically says they should just go away i'm with my family
1: so my brother my mother and brother and sisters yeah
0: yeah so there's there's another example of an ideology, a theology that is not entirely based on what it's purported to be based on. And when it comes to adoption, using the example of a non nuclear family deity and scriptures yeah. to uh, encourage people to adopt and erase the names of the people that they adopt and erase our parents as if we did they didn't exist because it you know it treats the parents as if they're just useless other than to provide this child i don't know and what are you thinking i see your hand raised but i'm not sure I'm
2: like, okay, let I see go. it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot what I was going to say.
1: <laughs> Andy was on a roll. <laughs> Andy
2: was on a roll. Oh, okay, it- now I remember now. Okay, so as you're talking about the church, I'm thinking about the pillars of adoption, how it, it, it even is able to exist in our society. And the church is one of the biggest pillars of adoption. I think of the government as a pillar the family, and the church. I know a lot of birth moms who were talked into giving up their children by their priest, yeah. you know, and, you know, that kind of ruined them for any kind of faith. It ruined their faith because the church encouraged them to do something that devastated them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So I think that without the church pushing adoption, we probably I think adoption might fizzle out. I really think it's it was a social experiment um, that didn't really work out so well, and that to me is evident by the low number of adoptions. I just read a statistics and the child catchers that um, were down to one percent, and that might even have changed because that book was published a decade ago. One percent mm-hmm. of mothers giving up children, and the baby scoop and the heart of the baby scoop, millions in the nineteen sixties were given up. Yes.
0: And that was another example of an almost like cult like social control influence on families because so many of our parents, our adopted parents, adopted us because the ideal model of a family was a, you know, according to the churches, was this two parent household, hetero, two parent household with a boy and a girl and if you were catholic it was many boys and girls and a woman's sole purpose in life according to the churches was to bear children for her husband and for god and to keep her spouse's household and to raise righteous children that was your purpose and if you did not have the capacity to do that because of uh, infertility back then, that was you know the usual reason. You you were not by adopting other people's children. It, it wasn't so much an act of generosity, but one of your own ego fulfillment. Now it's shifted to more of an economic thing, but it's coinciding with this church remnant apocalyptic we're in the end times we've got to save as many as we can not just because oh you know out of the goodness of our hearts we want to save people i know when i was in the churches it was you know you're going to have to stand in front of god and account for everything that you did while you were alive and if it is god's will that you care for the orphans And you're not doing them. You're going to have to explain it to God. I don't know if either of you are familiar with this, but we used to hear about how we would receive our crowns for the things that we accomplished in life. And so the more you could accomplish, the nicer your crown could be. There's still this like self-fulfillment aspect of it. And there's this groupthink aspect of it because when you're in a church that is really pushing adoption, and you're looking at other people in your church who have multiple adoptees in their in their home, and people are looking at you like, why don't you have? Mm-hmm. So neither, yeah, I... neither of you really saw that in the churches that you grew up in, though.
1: I did not. No, I didn't either. I'm glad I didn't. I know it's out there, yeah. but I'm I'm fortunate that I didn't didn't have to see that.
2: I've learned a lot from reading the Child Captors book, listening to international adoptees, um, especially transracial adoptees, who grew up in places like Minnesota, and they were, you know, the only person of color in their community, in their church, or the only people in color of color in some of these evangelical churches are all adoptees which makes an interesting dynamic in the churches but they're not really naturally diversified they're diversified by adoptees
0: and that seems to be awesome? in some ways like this effort for the people in the churches to prove that they're not racist
2: exactly hmm. but yeah you?
0: they don't see color which is harmful to the children that they're bringing into their homes because they're denying and invalidating a, a crucial part of who these people are that they say they love. Right. And, and it challenges the idea that if that child is meant to be in your home and you're meant to be serving the needs of that child. I mean, actually, whose needs are you meant to be serving? Are you serving the needs of the child? Are you serving the needs of the church? Are you serving your own needs? If it comes down to God's will, does it really have anything at all to do with the person that you say you're trying to help? I don't know. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I I think this sets up the savior mentality
2: that we hear a lot about in the adoption community.
1: Yeah, I do too. I feel like... (laughs) It's definitely present as redeeming people from ignoble beginnings uh, from, you know, we used to have terms like savages and stuff like this, right? And even the language around what missionary outreach used to be, which was outreach to savages and things and people that, needed to be shown a better way of life and even the like the california missions for example when you read how how the priests treated the natives and um i feel like a lot of it it has some parallels here about but also very interested in what you said on either there's now this virtue component built into it we're good people because we are bringing the people in and creating this diversity that's artificial and, and then claiming we don't see it at the same time. So I, I see both of these things. They're both very much still present, even in the same person, I think, who may be adopting. They may be feeling both of these things.
0: There was actually an adoption agency that was talking about, they were touting the number of international adoptions that they've facilitated. And they actually used like language that said, these kids are so lucky to come here. There was this idea that that they're being rescued from this horrible yeah. life.
2: And it's nice. not it's not acknowledging that they maybe they didn't want to be rescued, maybe they wanted to be with their family, even if it meant living in poverty. Yes. Yeah. Somehow we have become superior because we live here in the in the United States. Uh, you know we're we're pretty unique with the way we do our adoption
1: materialism and right? not
2: not in a good way <laughs>
0: yeah. right yeah because yeah. there's that ability you know to help a person to meet them where they where they are <laughs> that is missing in this this kind of mindset that we're that we're seeing and One of the things that I find really alarming about anything like this, and and Lynn and I talked about this in the intro episode, and that's that anytime you are an adherent of a belief system that is intolerant of examination, that does not want to be critically assessed, that does not want to be questioned, that does not tolerate, tolerate being challenged in any way, those are red flags. Mm -hmm. and you should be you should be leery of that and we see a lot of that in adoption we see a lot of intolerance of any kind of challenge yeah and I think part of that is you know when you talk about the end time apocalyptic remnant entitlement attitude we're here for a purpose we're special we're chosen how can you challenge what we are saying to you
2: yeah.
0: and lynn you know you've talked about the black and white thinking of either either we adopt or they end up in dumpsters you hey, want to talk yeah. a little bit about that sure
2: yeah i mean I think the impression, you know, a a way that non-adoptees, sometimes maybe even adoptive parents would shut us down would be to point out that, well, had you not been adopted, you could have ended up in a dumpster. Well, I guess I could have, but not very likely. I would have likely gone to the next family on the list because it was, I'm sure it was a long list, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? So I would have just gone to the next number, the next family. I I don't think I would have been in the dumpster. I'm sorry. what, Greg?
1: That's what happens when you're a commodity, right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> Somebody's
1: waiting for so, you.
2: So no, Some I wouldn't end up in a dumpster. But that to me, just that comment is a way to shut down the conversation. It's a way to silence. It's a way to say, we don't want pushback on our adoption narrative. We like our gospel of adoption. And um, we're firm in our belief that adoption is a better life. And um you should just sit down and be grateful you had a bad experience. On to the next adoptee who will shine a positive light. That's what they that's what most people want to hear. They want to hear the party line. They want to hear the good things. What wasn't your family great? And even if your family is great, there's still so many problematic things about adoption that we could do a hundred of these podcasts to, to talk about them. But nobody wants to hear about that. They want They want us to just stay in our place like we did when we were minors. You know, when we couldn't have an opinion, a, an honest opinion, especially if we were in a church like you were in, Andy, you know, we were in our place. And then when we became adults, we began to think critically about adoption. And by then, nobody wanted to listen, right?
0: Yeah. I think it's important to mention when we talk about adoption, the the world has been convinced or the, at least the American world and have been convinced that adoption the erasure of an adoptee's family the legal severance of all familial connections the and uh, In inheritance yeah inheritance the falsification or the amendment of birth certificates the denial of access to uh any kind of information and some people will say well you can ask when you turn 18 i'm sorry it's information you should have access to your entire life you shouldn't have to wait until you're 18 to know these things your parents
2: should know your medical history too i mean
0: how are you a good
2: parent when you don't understand what your kid could possibly be inheriting yeah you know i thought yeah. about that a lot yeah how is our how can our parents act parent us in a way that is good for our health without that information
0: well some parents lie to their adoptees and don't even tell them they're adopted and then the adoptee (laughs) gets to pretend that that people those people's medical history is their medical history (laughs) sorry that's awful that is like a sore spot for me that my adoptive parents were okay with me thinking that I was a hypochondriac rather than admit that I had conditions inherited from my biological from my family Because they didn't want to say it was adopted. But anyway, so yes, there are all these problems with adoption. There's the lack of open communication between adoptive parents and adoptees. There's the uh, enforced gratitude. There's the, you know, the infantilism. There are all these different things. And these attitudes that adoption is fabulous, it's God's will if it's God's will for you, then how could you possibly have any problems with it? You know, Lynn, did you have a comment?
2: Yeah, I, on that bite model, one of the things that mentions is the change in identity is very common in cults, And I thought that was just so interesting because that is the, the whole basis of legal adoption in the United States is taking away a child's identity and replacing it with something else. Yeah, and then sealing the identity from them. I didn't know that that was a common practice in cults, but apparently it is.
0: Yeah, it's a way of it's a way of exerting control. And a lot of times, the cult leaders assign the new names to the members. Not familiar.
2: <laughs> yeah, very familiar.
0: Yeah, and
2: well, they do that in the adoption agencies. Uh, you know where I was adopted at the cradle. We all got nicknames.
0: Because God forbid they use your actual name if you had one. You might Absolutely. get attached to it. So so that when we talk about adoption, we're not talking, you know, when we object to adoption, we're not talking about saying we want children to languish in, you know, isolation without any kind of care or stability or safety. That's... The The point is, let's imagine something different and better and healthier instead of continuing with a system that has so many harms. And, you know, when we talk about all of these things and the adoption of files is kind of, you know, about laws, we talk about belief systems and we talk about these cult-like fervent need to believe in in certain things because people make laws based on what they believe Mm -hmm. and if we want to change the way that we provide substitute caregiving for children we have to be able to think outside of this current belief system
2: it's a big uh, ask because you know I don't think there's enough education like part of why we're doing this is education but even judges who overturned Roe v Wade even Obama who said let's do more adoption and, and you know decrease abortion and do more adoption the the politics um the people who are making all the laws they believe they believe the the unrealities about adoption and it's firmly in law so At some point, it just kind of feels hopeless to me that
0: we're ever going to change the laws.
2: Hmm. Do you guys feel that way?
0: Sometimes. But then I also think about the fact that, you know, we would, there would still be so many things in this world if people hadn't started speaking out against them. You know, even when it seemed yes. impossible. I mean, women, you didn't used to be able to own property in your own name. Uh,
2: yeah, I when I think back 10 years ago, when I first started writing about adoption, we, you know, there weren't great articles out there. There weren't podcasts like this one. There wasn't a journalist like Catherine Joyce who published The Child captures. It's, uh, we've come a long way. We have.
0: Yeah, and so we just, I think, have to hope that we can build incrementally on what has come before and continue to do so until people acknowledge the problems and are willing to do something about it. And the younger generation actually gives me hope for that because I think so many younger people can can look at the erasure of a person's identity and go that's wrong
2: yeah yeah i agree with that i've talked to younger legislators who really get it and they just look at you like you have three heads when you tell them because you know most people don't realize we have two birth certificates one being sealed and when you when you educate people on that they just look at you like but you can't get it you know (laughs) they're just baffled i know. what do you mean and, yeah, and then and I, DNA, I mean, yeah. what's the point?
0: <laughs> we can get the information anyway. We talk about these things because, you know, we want to encourage people to think critically about the messages that they're receiving. We know it's not comfortable. Sure. I, you know, it's it's hard to change the way that you think. It's hard to take something you think is a is a fabulous thing that you've always been told is a fabulous thing and then go huh maybe we could do this differently
2: especially when you go to wendy's to order a cheeseburger (laughs) it promotes adoption (laughs) you know Uh, it's everywhere it's everywhere in tv and movies everywhere
0: oh yeah we can do and i'm sure we'll do a whole episode on the cult like like tropes around adoptees and about adoption Mm -hmm. you know i'm still waiting for my superpower by the way (laughs) It's flying, just in case anybody's missing, I want to be able to fly, just so you know. That's my, that's my preferred superpower. Um, and I don't have any intention of going on a killing spree, so I'm not going to go that way with the tropes about adoptees. So should be safe there.
2: <laughs> I think you've
1: helped me in conversations, Handi, that we've had over a course course of months to feel more, validated in my stance on on adoption which is i, I wish it would wish it would go away um <laughs> and there are always voices in my head about it won't it's unrealistic you're a dreamer you're idealist so what if i am i still want to know <laughs> that i i've been encouraged by in our conversations to to realize some of the things you've said like what you just gave examples of things do and can change even when it appears like everything's stacked against them going that way so i'm gonna be on that side it may not be a popular side people will call me all kinds of things i'm sure but that's where i stand
0: yeah and, and i think that the fact that they're starting to understand more about intergenerational and generational trauma when they're starting to understand more about, yeah. uh, you know, there's more of a push to to designate CPTSD as an actual diagnosis, when they're talking about, um, you know, genetic mirroring, when they're beginning to understand the effects of early childhood trauma, yeah, there are people campaigning to include... Um, adoption on the adverse childhood experience scale it, and it is tangentially you can you can check off the box that says you experience the loss of a of a parent or other family member as um, as an ACE and most of us and that's the thing you know there the conversations are being had in some areas around the trauma that's inherent in adoption i uh, people are speaking up like lynn said you know there are articles and books being published and uh, interviews so lynn she's so polite she puts her hand up
2: <laughs> well you mentioned the ace um and i think i just wanted to say that if you want to take the ace test it's easy to do it online there's just 10 questions and your ACE score, you know, the higher it is, the more adverse childhood experiences you've had. I think it's a really important thing to, you know, take the test itself to take and to understand the different forms of trauma. But I do agree there needs to be an addition of adoption or, you know, some kind of family disruption and not just the loss of a parent, because some kids, you know, have gone lost more than one parent. They've moved from home to home so, yeah, I just want to encourage the listeners to take the test and to learn a little bit more about it because it is one of those mainstream things they're teaching now to uh, well, I've learned about it in several venues, Casa being one of them. So I just wanted to stress that it's a really important trauma test to understand.
0: yeah, and if you if you see it as a tool to help you understand, you know, where you're coming from and why you may feel some of the things that you do and why you may struggle with some of the things you do. It can also help you find the kind of support and help that you might need uh, to deal with those things. Yeah.
2: Adoption competent therapist. Had to throw that word in.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And and those can be tough to find. So we are going to have an episode about therapy and we hope you'll join us for that episode. Cause we will talk about and post uh, some of the questions that you should ask your therapist if, and to remember that you are interviewing them for a job, not for you to get the job for them. <laughs> you should be in charge of your process. Paying. Yes. Yep. And you know, just some of the things to look for. So in closing tonight, I I was hoping that you might each have something (laughs) that you would like to say before we go. Lynn, is not raising your hand this time, everybody? It actually says iPhone raised hand. (laughs) (laughs) You go, Greg.
1: (laughs) I will go with this. If you want an example of contrast to infant adoption and yet somebody being part of a family in in the Bible look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and so there's a a young widow who chooses to become part of the family of her mother-in-law basically and says your people will be my people and your God will be my God it's a person who makes a choice to be in an association with somebody else. So there's this freedom to do this. There's no no uh erasure of identity other than what, what the person wants to do to assimilate to to being associated with the other other one. So something if we're talking about families and maybe we talk about fictive kinship and things like this, then. there there are, there's an example like that. That's, you could find that in the Bible, but you won't find this idea of infant adoption and erasure of identity and being something justified.
2: I actually love that story. I'm so glad you shared that. I love that story in the Bible. And to add to what Greg said, I think that I know you said that you wish adoption would go away, Greg. And I as a Casa Guardian, uh, but, um, I you know, I work with kids who are permanent custody and may be going to adoption. And my feeling is that there should be the child should be able to choose on their own if they want to be adopted. There are kids that want to be adopted, kids that have never had that permanence and don't have families. And I think if adoption is gonna continue to exist, I think it needs to be the person's, the child's choice, just like in Christianity, we choose God. We choose to be saved. I think we should choose to be adopted. I never think it should be foisted on us by outside forces, by outside people, by our government. Um, I just, I feel like that is the change I would like to see in the U.S. That it not be done to us when people, you know, children are don't have the agency. To acknowledge um, what's happening to them, giving up their family without their choice, I think should should not happen.
0: Yeah, and I guess for me, because of the power differential that exists between a child and an adult, and the fact that in this country you're not even allowed to enter into a contract until you're um, eighteen, that even offering a child a choice to be adopted when I don't know that they're capable of really understanding the lifelong consequences of surrendering their identity and severing their family connections. I think that if, if I were going to see adoption being offered to someone as an option i think that that should only occur when the person becomes old enough to sign a contract when they can make an informed decision and so i think if a family wants to bring a child into their home and provide for them through some mechanism of you know legal custody legal guardianship depending on the state where you live it's going to be Defined using slightly different words. And then when they are of age, they want to formally become a member of that family by changing their name, that they should be allowed to do that. But that it shouldn't occur until they have the ability to really understand what it is they're agreeing to, unless we change what adoption is
2: there can be coercion involved if you are not if you don't have full agency like you said if you can't sign a contract there could be coercion
0: yeah and you'd be afraid you know there's a lot of fear that i know that you see in foster kids of being constantly moved from one home to another and of losing, mm-hmm. you know, whenever they're in a good place of losing that. And so the way we've set the system up, adoption offers that illusion of stability. And we, I call it illusion because we know that adoptees are rehomed. It's It doesn't happen all the time, but it it happens entirely too often, which to me is like one time is too often, but... I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, We also know that adoptees often, you know, can experience estrangement from their adoptive families when they get older, especially if the adoptive parents pass away. So I, I, I just really think that when it comes to making a decision with the way adoption exists today, that there's not really an an ethical way to do that with a child unless you know i, I guess you could have an adoption decree and retain the person's birth certificate so that they remain yeah, themselves but they are now considered a member of that family yeah I, they aren't
2: I, forced to change their name yeah
0: and i think you know anybody listening to this can tell. this is it's a comp it's complex
2: yeah we're not always going to agree
0: yeah and we're not and it's not something that any of us are taking lightly you know we 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 know that it's difficult and i think we And it
2: seems that opinions can change based on where you are in your journey so you know when you're just coming out of the fog or when you just met your birth family, you can feel totally differently than after you've had a couple decades to process. And now you're like, what, this is crazy. What, what is the system? (laughs) Yeah. Speaking personally for myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, And that's a good point. You know, adoptees are just as, we're just as vulnerable to the indoctrination. We're just as vulnerable to all of these different influences and trying to process all of it can can be really challenging so if you had asked me 15 years ago <laughs> my response to all of this would have been very different i would have been one of those people going but that you know this is god's will for people and his ways are above our ways and we don't understand we just have to have faith I, i'd like to kick her but still i <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to envision her. Oh, yeah. I'll show you pictures sometime. <laughs> but, but you know, I think I, I bring that up to say to people, I know that this is not easy. And I, think I you know, and I appreciate both of you having this conversation because I know that we come from from different backgrounds as far as the religious beliefs and things go and have different understandings of how those messages work but we've all lived the consequences of them
2: yep we've all lived in a society an adoption loving society yeah
0: Yeah. so thank you to everyone for joining us for this conversation we look forward to you joining us lynn and i for the the next conversation that we have And thank you so much to Greg for being here with us. Thanks, Greg. I learned so much from you.
1: It's a definite pleasure. Thank you both. I really appreciate the opportunity and the conversation.
0: All right. Well, thank you. And thank you to the listeners. And I'm going to wait to see if the iPhone raises its hand again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) iPhone has gone to bed. (laughs) The
0: iPhone is done for the evening. All right. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and if you if you see it as a tool to help you understand, you know where you're coming from and why you may feel some of the things that you do and why you may struggle with some of the things you do, it can also help you find the kind of support and help that you might need uh, to deal with yes. those things. Yeah.
2: Adoption competent therapist. Yeah. Had to throw that word in.
0: Yeah. And- <laughs> And this can be tough to find. So we are going to have an episode about therapy and we hope you'll join us for that episode because we will talk about and post uh, some of the questions that you should ask your therapist if, and to remember that you are interviewing them for a job, not for you to get the job for them. <laughs> you should be in charge of the You're process. Paying. Yes. It's your dime. Yep. And, you know, just some of the things to look for. So In closing tonight, I I was hoping that you might each have something (laughs) that you would like to say before we go. Lynn isn't raising your hand this time, everybody. It actually says iPhone raised hand. (laughs) (laughs) You go, Greg.
1: (laughs) I will go with this. If you want an example of contrast to infant adoption and yet somebody being part of a family in in the bible look at the story of ruth and naomi and so there's a a young widow who chooses to become part of the family of her mother-in-law basically and says your people will be my people and your god will be my god It's a person who makes a choice to be in an association with somebody else so there's this freedom to do this there's no no uh erasure of identity other than what what the person wants to do to assimilate to to being associated with the other other one so something if we're talking about families and maybe we talk about fictive kinship and things like this then there there are, there's an example like that. That's, you could find that in the Bible, but you won't find this idea of infant adoption and erasure of identity and being something justified.
2: I actually love that story. I'm so glad you shared that. I love that story in the Bible. And to add to what Greg said, I think that I know you said that you wish adoption would go away, Greg. And I, as a cost, uh, um, I you know I work with kids who are permanent custody and may be going to adoption. And my feeling is that there should be, the child should be able to choose on their own if they want to be adopted. There are kids that want to be adopted, kids that have never had that permanence and don't have families. And I think if adoption is going to continue to exist, I think it needs to be the person's, the child's choice, just like in Christianity, we choose God. We choose to be saved. I think we should choose to be adopted. I never think it should be foisted on us by outside forces, by outside people, by our government. Um, I just, I feel like that is the change I would like to see in the U.S. that, that not be done to us when people, you know, children are don't have the agency. To acknowledge um, what's happening to them, giving up their family without their choice, I think should should not happen.
0: Yeah, and I guess for me, because of the power differential that exists between a child and an adult, and the fact that in this country you're not even allowed to enter into a contract until you're um eighteen, that even offering a child a choice to be adopted when I don't know that they're capable of really understanding the lifelong consequences of surrendering their identity and severing their family connections. I think that if, if I were going to see adoption being offered to someone as an option, I think that that should only occur when the person becomes old enough to sign a contract, when they can make an informed decision. And so I think if a family wants to bring a child into their home and provide for them through some mechanism of, you know, legal custody, legal guardianship, depending on the state where you live, it's going to be Defined using slightly different words. And then when they are of age, they want to formally become a member of that family by changing their name, that they should be allowed to do that. But that it shouldn't occur until they have the ability to really understand what it is they're agreeing to, unless we change what adoption is I just really think that when it comes to making a decision with the way adoption exists today that there's not really an an ethical way to do that with a child unless you know I I guess you could have an adoption decree and retain the person's birth certificate so that they remain themselves but they're now considered a member of that family. Yeah,
2: they aren't forced to change their name.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, anybody listening to this can tell it this is it's a comp it's complex.
2: It, yeah, we're not com- always gonna agree.
0: Yeah. And we're not and it's not something that any of us are taking lightly. You know, we, yeah. we, we know that it's difficult. You
2: know? And it seems that opinions can change based on where you are in your journey. So, you know, when you're just coming out of the fog or when you just met your birth family, you can feel totally differently than after you've had a couple decades to process. And now you're like, what, this is crazy. What? What is the system?
0: <laughs> yeah, Speaking
2: personally for myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's a good point. You know, adoptees are just as... We're just as vulnerable to the indoctrination. We're just as vulnerable to all of these different influences. And trying to process all of it can can be really challenging. So if you had asked me 15 years ago, (laughs) my response to all of this would have been very different. I would have been one of those people going, "But, but, you know, this is God's will for people. And... His ways are above our ways, and we don't understand. We just have to have faith. I, I'd like to kick her, but still, <laughs> it's hard to It's hard to envision her. <laughs> oh, well, I'll show you pictures sometime. But, but you know, I think I, I bring that up to say to people: I know that this is not easy. And I, think I, you know, and I appreciate both of you having this conversation because I know that we come from, from different backgrounds as far as the religious beliefs and things go and have different understandings of how those messages work, but we've all lived the consequences of them.
2: Yep. We've all lived in a society, an adoption loving society. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So thank you to everyone for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to you joining us, uh, Lynn and I, for the n- the next conversation that we have. And thank you so much to Greg for being here with us. Thanks, Greg. I learned so much from you.
1: It's a definite pleasure. Thank you both. I really appreciate the opportunity and the conversation.
0: All right. Well, thank yeah. you. And thank you to the listeners. And I'm going to wait to see if the iPhone raises its hand again. <laughs>
2: iPhone has gone to bed. (laughs) The
0: iPhone is done for the evening. All right. Good night, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for joining us.